Hey everyone, and welcome back to Inside the Morgue. We're your hosts and friendly neighborhood autopsy techs, Jess and Alice. This week, we found a new show to watch. I know, we haven't had a new show in a while. We're very excited. And we're going to debunk it with you guys. We're watching Coroner, Season 4, Episode 2, titled Cutting Coroners. Get it? Let's get into it. Jenny Cooper, or JC, is the coroner for her county. She has just come back after a situation that we clearly missed because that's the MO on our show. We always come into weird situations in the middle of every episode. We can't help it. (laughs) We're like, tell us everything, but we're not going to (laughs) watch. I will not watch any of these other episodes. I actually might. I enjoyed this one. Yeah, this was actually a really good show. I highly recommend it for you guys. I love all these shows. Who am I kidding? Anyway, she meets the interim coroner who isn't too happy that JC came back from her leave pretty early. But there was a car accident call that just came in, and they're both going out to work it, and they both meet at the scene. And then right away, I give a red flag here. Just from our experience in the county that we work in, our coroner does not go to scenes. That's the job of the deputy coroner, who is the coroner investigator, who does all of the investigation of the death scenes. There's also the difference between a medical examiner and a coroner that I think this show kind of overlaps the two. Definitely blurred some lines here. Yeah. For anyone who is like, oh, I didn't know there was a difference. There is. The medical examiner differs from a coroner in that a coroner is usually not a physician and is not trained in medicine, forensic medicine, or forensic science. They can be, but they do not have to be. A medical examiner is required to be a physician and certified by the American Board of Pathology in the medical specialty of forensic pathology, and they are experienced in the forensic sciences. So a coroner is an elected position, whereas a medical examiner, they're trained and they're appointed to their position. And the term coroner was first established in Great Britain in 1164, and it's derived from the term crowner. So like coroner, crowner. Wait, 1164? I feel like I knew this and I've learned it before in class, but it blows my mind that it goes back that far. Medicine goes back to like the start of time because I'm reading The Butchering Art by Lindsay Fitzharris right now. One of my favorite books. And talking about Joseph Lister and just like the fact that all of them, like being a doctor back then was not how it's considered today. It was like a poor person's job back then because you were using your hands. It was like a trade. You yeah. went to like trade school to do like surgery and it was just like you had to be strong enough to hold someone down while you sawed off their leg. Dude, Victorian era medicine is one of my special interests that I will rant about. It's my favorite. I will rant about it for hours to anyone who will listen. Most people don't want to except for Jess. I'm so obsessed with this book. Go read it if you haven't already read it. The Butchering Art. It's awesome. It's one. I think it was one of my recommended reads when we posted our favorite like spooky like a autopsy or anatomy related books. It's one of my top ones. I love it. I also I just finished Nicole and Jemmy's anatomy book. And that was amazing to read and to look at all of the pictures from all of the cases from A to Z, which is really cool. I have to read that one. You read it so quick. I know it must be like a, such a page turner. so obsessed with it. I was like, I need to know every single case in this book. I Yeah, I definitely need to read that one. I need to pick that one up. Back to this determination between the two. So the coroner system is a very old ancient system and the medical examiner system is kind of the modern replacement for that. Although not every county and state does it. It's all however they choose to proceed. So the chief medical examiner is required by law to determine the cause, circumstances, and manner of death for those cases 
found to be under the office's legal jurisdiction, and those deaths that are due to natural disease do not have to be reported to the medical examiner. It's the responsibility of like their primary care physician to properly complete the death certificate. However, all deaths in which there is some reason to believe that the death is not due to natural diseases is homicide, suicide, accident, or one of the other many types of deaths mentioned by law, those must be reported to the office, and only the medical examiners then can investigate and sign off on the DC if the death is related to a homicide, suicide, accident, if there's a patient with no attending physician, if it's an industrial-related accident, an unidentified person, or where there is some medical reason to consider that the death might be due to a contagious disease. Those would all fall under medical examiners and coroners. In the show, they go out to the scene, and it looks like there's two cars involved in a motor vehicle accident. And motor vehicle accidents are a pretty common type of case that comes into our office. We get drivers, passengers, if there's a pedestrian struck, all of it. So in motor vehicle accidents or motorcycle accidents, many of these cases, that final determination, the final manner of death is usually determined to be multiple blunt impact injuries to either the extremities, the trunk, the face, and in most cases, it's ruled as an accident. Anything related to a motor vehicle or motorcycle is most likely an accident, and that's just how like the law goes. JC thinks that the one victim died on impact, and she bases this theory on the fact that there are no linear abrasions from seatbelt compression, and judging by the discoloration on her sternum, she guesses that she fractured it on impact either with the dashboard or the steering wheel. They transport the victim back to the morgue, and there is one survivor from the one car. He was in the passenger seat of the SUV involved in the crash and says that this car came out of nowhere. The driver of the SUV started yelling, he slammed on the brakes, and then they crashed. The driver of the SUV is one of the fatal victims. The car who hit them was swerving all over the road, and they think that they were possibly drunk. The female victim from the other car who was dead was the driver. She was supposedly seen waving her hands all over the place before hitting the SUV. This is looking like vehicular manslaughter due to intoxication, but they have to run tox, and they have to do the autopsy before this is official. Just then, the female passenger of the car who hit the SUV, who they thought was dead, has a pulse. JC leaves this girl in the hands of the paramedics and makes her way back to the morgue with the other coroner slash doctor. The mother of the female victim, her name is Grace, she died on scene, and the mother gets the news of her death at the office. The other female, Lily, who was the passenger, is also her daughter as well. JC tells the mother that she spoke to Lily on scene and that she was injured but is alive as soon as she said oh your other daughter's okay just because like i watch too much tv i was like oh this is gonna be heartbreaking i was like something terrible is gonna happen <laughs> like never say that it's like never talking about like oh i hope you have a quiet night on call like don't say oh it oh my god don't say it don't say it and just as soon as like someone is like oh they're gonna be okay in any kind of drama show i immediately already start tearing up because i'm like nope they're not <laughs> like they're not gonna be okay <laughs> So the ambulance was supposed to take her to the hospital, but it hasn't arrived yet. They may have rerouted the ambulance to a different hospital, but they're not really sure. In the morgue, they roll in the tables with the two bodies on them, and I give this a green flag because everyone's in scrubs, and they have proper PPE on, including the gowns, hairnets, masks, face shields, which I thought was really cool because we rarely see that. They looked like us. They looked like us. <laughs> Twinning. They looked like us. Also, another green flag. I saw one of the techs, who I think is a tech, 
because the techs, I think they were wearing the yellow isolation gowns and the docs were wearing blue. So I think it was the tech. They were taking photos, which I also love to see. I love seeing autopsy photos being taken in the morgue. So JC, she's the coroner, and she also is performing the autopsies, which... And then this is where it's kind of like blurring the lines because that's not how it happens in our office because we have pathologists to come and do autopsies and our coroner just kind of runs the office. I guess theoretically could, a, so like a forensic pathologist could also be a coroner. You could. Yeah. You They definitely could. Yeah. It's just not, it's not required that they, that a coroner have medical backgrounds. But a lot of them do. A lot of them do. And there's a lot of like continuing education that they do and a lot of like Mm -hmm. exams that they take. And it's, yeah. I think it's a whole like money issue. You probably wouldn't get paid as much to be a coroner than you would if you were just a full-time forensic pathologist. But I don't know. I'm just an autopsy tech. That's not our job. (laughs) A lot of people think it is. It's not my job to be a coroner. I am not a coroner. But anyway, so JC, she's the doctor, and I just give this a red flag for her doing autopsies just based on how our office is run, even though I don't see why a pathologist couldn't be a coroner. We have a coroner system in our office and for our county, and our coroner, they're not a forensic pathologist, therefore they don't do autopsies. Our pathologists are the only ones to do the autopsies. So in the show, with this new coroner and all his rules, everyone needs to fill out an authorized interview report to prevent any bias before the autopsy is completed. He wants his staff to fill these reports out if they have any contact with detectives or families to prevent any emotional bias. The other coroner saw JC at the scene praying or saying she said some kind of mantra over the bodies and talking to a survivor and he's concerned jc is blurring the lines she is a coroner not a social worker is what he says jc says that talking to families and sharing information with police isn't biased it's part of their job jc gowns up and goes into the autopsy suite they open the first bag and it's lily the passenger from the car that she thought had lived and was taken to the hospital i called it and i was very sad to see her there The other coroner filling in for JC while she's taking time off, all snobbishly, says, Oh, sure, go tell that mother both her daughters are dead. Go sit and cry with her, or stay and find out what killed them. I'm not waiting for you to start this autopsy. He was a little rude there. You know, not loving his vibe. To a point, I get having to leave your emotions at the door sometimes, or like most of the time, like when we're in the autopsy room. But like, we talked about this with Will from Forensics World, when we were like talking about mental health and stuff. And I think he said it really well. It's we're all human with emotions. And sometimes I think that helps us do our job better, like having empathy for people. Yeah. You can't be a robot going through this job for your entire life. Yeah. You just can't. There's no way around it. You have feelings. You're going to feel them. And I don't know. Having empathy in this job, I feel like, is also important. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. He's just taking the leave your emotions at the door to an extreme. To another level that... does not need to happen so jc goes to fill out the form and then goes back to do the autopsy and i loved this she was a petty queen and she filled out every question with the answer was i was doing my job i stand her and i know this is such a lame anecdote but i did something like this in college i was taking a class with this professor who just like wasn't cool would say not great things during lecture and i was doing well in the class and it was on my final and most of the i think the whole test was mostly multiple choice and I knew I got all those right and then the last was like an essay question and I like went off on the essay portion about how I like the question was something weird it was like a world religions class and it was something about like which religion is best and I'm like what 
What do you mean? How do you know? How can I tell you what religion is best? I was like, I don't know. And it was, anyway, I went on a rant about how there's no superior religion. And um, I that question was worth 10 points and I got a 90 on the final. So I'm pretty sure they read it <laughs> and didn't like my answer. But I never saw that again. So <laughs> it was fine. But that's what I, <laughs> I loved her energy here. It was like, I was just doing my job. And then she goes, she's like, what is it going to do? Give me detention? And then the doc tells them to basically stop having a normal conversation and to do that outside. The tech working with JC is writing on the notes for her, and they are working on Grace, who was the driver of the car. Grace has a lack of chest abrasions, which indicates that she wasn't wearing a seatbelt. This tracks with her fractured sternum. So green flag, they took x-rays of this victim to help show the amount of injury the victim sustained from the crash and to better help in the determination of the cause of death. The superior location of the fracture in the hemothorax indicates impact on the steering wheel, confirming JC's theory. So just a reminder, I feel like we've touched on this before, but hemothorax is blood in the plural space. The plural space is the space enclosed by the plural. Duh. But anyway elaborating more also i don't know if a lot of people know like medical terminology superior means closer to your head yes oh good call too yeah so anyway the plural space is obviously as the name states the space enclosed by the pleura and the pleura is the thin layer of tissue there's like a thin layer of tissue that covers your lungs and lines the interior or the inside wall of your chest so yeah it's like along like the inside of your ribs So anyway, there is blood in that space, basically between the ribs and the lung. So another green flag, they still have the body dressed while they are taking notes, which helps figure out what happened to the car because you can look at the tears in the clothing and compare it to like any injuries that the victim has. So the other doc is working on the male victim, Ryan. The victim has blunt force injuries to the head, chest, and neck, likely from impact with the road when he was ejected. He may have died from massive brain trauma. Looking at the x-rays they took, Eli, who is this snobby doctor filling in for JC, says this kid is a poster child for why you shouldn't drink and drive. JC then comes in saying that the kid also has a fracture to the right femur, humerus, clavicle, several ribs, and vertebrae, which normally indicates that he was bracing for impact. So despite the costume, so Ryan and the other passenger were coming back from a convention, JC guesses that he wasn't intoxicated. Eli will wait for the tox train, and if JC's theory is right, it may have been that Grace was the one who was intoxicated. Can we also just take a minute to appreciate this morgue and autopsy suite? It's beautiful, and it reminds me of how our morgue looks like. It was perfect, and it represented like a real autopsy suite so well. It was so nicely lit. There were lights! There were lights! <laughs> they had... There was overhead lights and they had like a spotlight LED on top of the the autopsy table that you could move around and manipulate. It was glorious. Anybody who works in a morgue (laughs) should watch this just for, I thought it was a beautiful morgue and autopsy suite. I was impressed. I wanted to stay in that scene forever. I was like, oh my God. I wanted to go to that set. (laughs) Live Live in there. I want to like give a high five to anybody who was working on that set and designed it that way. Right? The set designers did a great job. Do you think they had, I, I should have looked into this. Do they have like a forensic consultant like Autopsy of Jane Doe did behind the scenes? Oh, I'm not sure. I bet you they did because they were very accurate with how they depicted how a morgue works. And same with how they described everything in medical terms. Yeah, okay. I know I was saying that I wasn't going to watch this show, but I probably will end up watching the show. I love this show. <laughs> just like I'm going to I'm going to watch all of Rosewood just cuz I think he's so funny. 
His little gadgets. He's just a silly little guy. So the little touches of like the head blocks on the back shelf and the cabinets filled with specimen are really cool too. It's not like in, well, we love CSI. We all, like I love it. It's a guilty pleasure. Actually, you know what? I'm not, I'm not sorry about it. It's not guilty. I just like watching it. But they always have like super colorful jars in the background filled with like red and like blue and like fun colored fluids. And I'm like, what is- Which is so not how it is. Like the specimen that we have in formalin is like, the dullest color you could think of it's so gross looking and like that's how this looked it wasn't like super colorful science in the background it was just it was just the morgue and i loved it <laughs> just the morgue it's a cute little morgue i'm very easy to please just give me a cute little morgue in a show back to the show after we fangirl about this morgue the tox results have come back and grace's screen was clean so there were no drugs or alcohol on board they're now working on lily who smells like peppermint schnapps Oh my god, I sometimes, this kind of was ruined for me now, sometimes I'll put peppermint schnapps in my hot chocolate, like around Christmas time, and have like a little minty hot chocolate. It's very good. I love chocolate and mint combined, though. I know that's not everybody's favorite. Can you tell? Can you tell I'm easily distracted and have a huge sweet tooth? (laughs) They're like opening her stomach and doing gross things, and they're like, ooh, peppermint, and I'm like, I could go for some hot cocoa, right? I mean, honestly, like when we're cutting in the back, like I'm hungry 90% of the time. And I don't know how on a scale of that's really weird to ew that is. I think, okay, so I also get hungry back in the morgue. And I think it's just because it's our job and like we're not grossed out by it. And like normal people get. I I know like we don't think it's weird. Yeah, I know. But like you tell anybody else that they're like, ew, I can't believe you get hungry like that. I was like, well, we're back there for like five hours sometimes. Everybody who everybody who works at like an office job also gets hungry probably around 11 or 12. So we're back there from like eight until one. My stomach might growl around (laughs) noon. Like. I'm sorry. I just I, I I constantly think of food back there. I'm like, oh, what am I gonna have for lunch? What am I gonna have for dinner? Like while I'm cutting a body, and we have normal conversations, like how Eli was telling them not to. Yeah, I know. And we'll we've even like given our lunch order. If like the office is ordering yeah. lunch, we'll be like mid autopsy. <laughs> we'll be like, hey, can you get me this from the kitchen? Thanks. And like, yeah, other people who don't work in the field probably think we're psychotic i also love our office i know (laughs) everybody gets it everybody there gets it you have to work in this field i can't you can't work in this field and be like not that there's anything wrong with this i know this job isn't for everybody but you can't be like nauseous the entire day if it's your job like how miserable would you be (laughs) right i think that's a sign you need to find a new job note to everybody if you're nauseous doing your job maybe you're in the wrong job maybe you need a career change or maybe you just need to get your stomach issues checked out anyway after that tangent (laughs) So Lily's tox screen also comes back negative for drugs and alcohol, despite it smelling like peppermint schnapps to everybody there. So the cops think that the girl's car caused the accident by swerving into the path of the SUV, but Grace and Lily were both sober, so we don't know why they were swerving. On x-ray, it looks like Lily has no fatal injuries. So what if the accident didn't kill her? Now they have to figure out what actually happened before the accident. On Lily's forearms, JC finds something, but then over the PA system, she gets a call that her mother is there to see her. We get the vibe that she has a very tense relationship with her mother. Again, some drama that we are out of the loop of. We're coming into season four of this show without having watched any other episode in the series. Yeah. There's a lot going on that I do not follow. There were a lot of like subplots happening that we're not even talking about because it wasn't forensic related. It's so irrelevant. It's just so irrelevant to what we do. 
So she leaves the autopsy suite to go see what her mom wants. And her mother just wants to help JC grieve. And then the mother of Grace and Lily comes into the office. She gets the news that both of her girls are now dead. And the girls were the only family she had. And now she's all alone. And Alice is crying on the couch. So JC will work as quickly as possible to get her answers. So back in the autopsy suite, they find that Lily had petechiae, which just a reminder, these are like pinpoint spots of bleeding on her trunk and extremities. One of the techs looking at the slides under the microscope is testing for Neisseria meningitidis bacteria. So it's possible that Lily had meningitis and that would explain the rash. And if Lily did have it, JC might have exposed her own mother. But there is no trace of bacteria on the slides. So what if it's not a rash, though? Lily smells like mint, but her hair smells like campfire smoke, and so does Grace's. That smell, campfire smoke, or any kind of smoke lingers. Everybody knows. If anybody's ever been to a bonfire, you smell like that for days. And also, like, the docs and the techs, like, smelling these bodies is not, like, a weird thing to do, because that's what we do, too. Like, you can definitely smell alcohol on a body. You can smell smoke on a body, like for a burnt body. I was just going to say that. I, I don't like go stick my face like no in stuff. <laughs> but like you, when if you open someone and they consumed a large quantity of alcohol, you can smell it. Oh my God. There was the other, the other day we had a body and we opened the bag and I was like, why does he smell sweet? He smelled like cinnamon. He did. We never figured out why. I bet he was diabetic. When you're diabetic, you do oh. smell sweet when you're decomposing. Oh, yeah. Forgot about that. You just taught me something again that I forgot about. <laughs> I definitely knew that at one point, but totally forgot. You knew that. <laughs> I knew that, but you reminded me. So I'm going to say you taught it to me. We are an educational podcast. <laughs> so if the girls went camping, the petechia on Lily's arms might be black fly bites. Lily's lymph nodes are swollen, which is consistent with a virus. So mosquitoes, flies, ticks, they all carry viruses. They need to ask the mother if the daughters went camping and where they might have gone. The girls were camping nearby, and now they're considering hantavirus. Humans can contract it from deer mice feces, and maybe the girls were exposed to it while they were in a cabin. If hantavirus is spreading at a provincial park, people could die, and they need to notify the authorities immediately. They need to look for microscopic lesions in the lungs, and the lungs would be heavy in weight. So there will be fluid in the pleural cavity, which we learned about earlier, guys. And they are now going to begin the internal examination. So they have just opened her up and they weigh her liver in the scale, which looks exactly the same as like the scale that we have. It's this overhanging bucket attached to the autopsy table with a scale. Yeah. If you know what I'm talking about, you know. I think when we talked to the crime scene queens, they said um, it reminds them of like a scale in a grocery store sometimes that you weigh produce in. Yes, And it's exactly what it looks like. Yeah, that's exactly how it is. And I also loved how this tech just, like, scooped out the liver from the eviscerated body. Like, zero cutting involved, which is definitely not how it goes. But maybe maybe it was already cut and he was just picking it up out of the body. I don't know. The the liver is one of the more difficult, I think, one of the more difficult organs to dissect out. It's also tricky to just grab a hold on. I usually get a towel to hold it. It's an awkward shape. It's an awkward shape. It's slippery. So, like, <laughs> I'll put my, my finger and, like, loop it into the IVC so you carry it. Yeah. Like like a mm-hmm. grocery bag. Yep. <laughs> anyway, so the liver weighs in at 1,500 grams. A reminder, all the organs we weigh in grams, not pounds. And her lungs were normal weight and color. So this rules out hantavirus. 
On a separate table, they dissect her organs, they open up the stomach. Their stomach appears much firmer than a normal stomach would be. Your stomach is very stretchy because you can consume lots of food at once. Um, and it has to hold all of that, and it's a, a lot mm-hmm. more flexible, and it's, like, floppy almost. Yeah, I don't know. I think this is, like, the second time we've seen, or maybe the third time we've seen a show try to portray what a stomach looks like, and I feel like that probably has to be the hardest mm-hmm. organ to, like, replicate for a show, because nobody gets it right. It has to be so tricky. Yeah, definitely. So they open it up, and it smells minty, but not like alcohol. JC calls the detective and asks about the car's GPS. The girls were coming from the campsite and going to a hospital. If the girls were on their way to a hospital, it means that one of them might have been sick. The detective tells JC that a witness stated she saw the passenger of the car waving her hands around like she was shooing a bee. What if she was having a seizure instead? The menthol in peppermint can have adverse side effects if taken in large quantities, but it's generally not lethal unless you have an underlying condition. Lily's mother says that Lily had the flu, she had a headache, and she was feeling nauseous. The girls went to the cabin for Lily to get over a breakup, and Lily had been sexually active with this ex-boyfriend. So back in the autopsy suite, the minty smell is actually pennyroyal. So an overdose of pennyroyal can cause seizures and multi-organ failure. Pennyroyal is commonly used as a topical bug repellent, but if you take enough of it, it can induce an abortion. At the autopsy suite, there was no evidence of a fetus, and maybe that's because she already aborted it. Lily and her boyfriend got into a fight, her sister and her went away for the weekend, and they were on their way to the hospital when they got into the accident. So Lily must have had a seizure, which caused Grace to lose control of the car. Lily was 15, and she would have had needed parental consent if she were to go to a doctor or an abortion clinic. The girl's mother is down in the autopsy suite, which I give a red flag for this. I don't think any family should be allowed to see their loved ones in that condition, especially in the autopsy suite where you perform the autopsy. That should all be done in like a nice viewing room or at a funeral home. And we're getting a new building for us soon for our morgue, and in that we're going to have like an actual viewing room designated for families to come. And like, there's a glass and the family would be on the other side, not like directly over the body. Yeah. They're viewing them in a clinical setting to either like view or identify. And JC tells the mother that Lily's injuries aren't what killed her. Lily was pregnant, as indicated by her hormone levels, and she explains the damage done by Pennyroyal. That was an intense ending. This was a sad one. It was an intense ending. And it just broke my heart. But the show seemed very well done. I loved how they portrayed the morgue and the autopsy suite and the autopsy scenes. Mm -hmm. And I'm definitely going to try and do some reading onto if they have, like, forensic consultants on that show. Maybe if we find something, we can share it on our Instagram for people to to check out. For the true events portion of this episode, we found a New York Times article by Alicia Haradasani Gupta titled Toxic and Ineffective Experts Warn Against Herbal Abortion Remedies on TikTok from July 2022. So this was very recent in the news. So in June of 2022, the U.S. Supreme Court overruled Roe v. Wade, which for anyone either not in the U.S. or who just maybe don't know, Roe v. Wade protected people's reproductive rights and their freedom to choose to have an abortion. 
And as a result of this being overturned, people began to, understandably, panic about their reproductive rights. So various TikTok and social media users allegedly started sharing herbs and ingredients that they claimed would induce an abortion without having to go to like a clinic or a doctor. And one of these herbs that was allegedly being shared was pennyroyal. So Input Magazine and Rolling Stone had reported in June of 2022 that hashtag pennyroyalty had been viewed tens of millions of times. So Dr. Aviva Ram, who is a women's health physician, midwife, and herbalist, and also wrote the book Botanical Medicine for Women's Health, stated that her position has been that these herbs are not reliably effective. She continued to say, and the doses of the herbs that one would need to take for it to possibly be effective are so high that they are virtually always toxic to the pregnant person. Pennyroyal has been used as an insect repellent, as we learned in the show, but when swallowed in its oil form is highly toxic, according to the NIH, the National Institutes of Health. And pennyroyal oil contains 80% to 92% of cyclohexanone pulagon, which is what causes the toxic effects in those who ingest it and also gives it its peppermint flavor and smell that they talked about in the show. So that was true. It does have a peppermint scent. Just a tablespoon can cause fainting, seizures, cardiac arrest, coma, liver injury, and multiple organ failure. So there has been at least one recorded death as a result of pennyroyal ingestion. It was an 18-year-old woman in 1978. I had trouble finding more info on that, but this article just mentioned that this was at least one of the recorded cases. And just an interesting statistic, in a 2020 survey of more than 7,000 women published in the journal JAMA Network Open, researchers found that of the nearly 100 women who said they had self-managed their abortions, about 38% had tried to use herbs. Yet of the roughly 7,000 respondents, less than a third said that they were successful at terminating their own pregnancies. So that's really interesting. Gonna be honest, I had never heard of Penny Royal until this show. <laughs> Me either. When they said Penny Royal, I was like, is that an alcohol? I actually know. Well, I'm gonna double check this. Penny Royal tea is actually a Nirvana song. Yeah, it's a Nirvana song. So I knew it as that. I knew there was a song about it, but I never really like considered it. I never knew it was something that people thought could be used to induce an abortion. No, me neither. And that's insane that, uh, not insane, I mean, our reproductive rights are vital for females. It's kind of sad that people would go to that level instead of going to a doctor. But I understand. Yeah, it's sad that they were so scared they felt like they needed to. And yeah. To end this episode, we tallied a total of four green flags and three red flags. So in our opinion, this episode of Coroner does pass in terms of forensic accuracy. And I definitely will have to go and watch the rest of the show because it is awesome. Yes, I want to see more of that morgue. (laughs) I just want to see more of the morgue and more of their autopsy scenes because it was honestly one of the more accurate shows that portray this. Mm -hmm. You'll definitely hear us talking about it again because we just want to see that morgue. So thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Morgue. If you enjoy our podcast and want to learn more about forensics, keep on listening. You can find us on Instagram at Inside the Morgue Pod and DM us anything you want to talk about. We'll be back next week for a brand new dissection. Bye! Bye.